Welcome to our gathering tonight. Great campfire stories where people have called up and said that they may have been uh, worshiping at the altar of the herb a little bit, and I, 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 I thought, well, maybe that has something to do with your with your sighting. Okay, guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Grimerica Show. We're going to be talking with uh, Jim Harold um, of the Paranormal Podcast and Jim Harold's Campfire. Uh, a little bit later, uh, but first, as always, oh. how's it going tonight, Graham? Hey, I'm doing good. I was thinking about where we're broadcasting from, like in the igloo east of the Rockies in the Great White North. We east, yeah, we're east of the Rockies. And I was thinking about uh, Dave, Dave and uh, Thompson. Who's the the great the Great White North guys? Uh, Bob and Doug McKenzie. Oh uh, no, yeah, I don't no, remember. Yeah, I'm too young. Really? Yeah, I think so. Um, and uh, joining us this week, uh, it's been a while, so we'd like to welcome back uh, the one and only Red Pill Junkie. How's it going, guys? Good, buddy. Coming in loud and clear this week. Hey, you sound good. Perfect, perfect. So how you been? Long time no see. I know you've been uh, busy at work and stuff. Ah, yeah, I've been a busy little bee, you know, there's... There are some times when the Matrix gets a hold on you and won't let go. <laughs> oh, oh, I know the feeling. Graham's excited. <laughs> so I suppose off the bat, we should take a minute and welcome uh, some new countries to the Grimerica Empire. Empire? What's well, a friendly empire? I don't know. How, uh, how else do you... Keep, every time you talk about some world domination, it sounds aggressive to me. Yeah, delicious of grandeur, eh? <laughs> The same thing we try and do every week. <laughs> try and yeah. take over the world. God. No good? Yeah, well, well I don't Con know. We'll go with it. It's conquered. So what are these new, what are these new friendly countries? Uh, we'd like to welcome Nicaragua, which ah. isn't, too far, isn't too far from you, RPJ. Como no, claro que no. Bienvenidos, mis compañeros nicaragüenses. <laughs> there you go. Welcome from RPJ, I'm assuming. <laughs> Uh, then we'd like to welcome Georgia, the country, not the state. Ah, Iceland, which is kind of fucked up that it took us this long to get into Iceland. I'm surprised <laughs> that we didn't. It seems weird to me. But anyway, mm. welcome to Iceland. Yeah. Your shit's pretty cool. Welcome to all the beautiful people of Iceland. Yeah, they got a good government and shit over there, too. They got a lot. Oh, of, yeah. Weren't they the ones that bailed out the people instead of the banks and put all the banksters in jail? I'm pretty sure that was them. Yeah, there's there's a reason why they are among the happiest people on the planet. And it's cold as fuck most of the time, so shit must be pretty good. That's <laughs> a land of ice. <laughs> um, and then Mauritius. I don't Mauritius. Know Mauritius. Yeah. Have mm -hmm. you been there? Very cool. No, I haven't been oh. there. And uh, this one, I must say, is the first country that I've never heard of. And... Uh oh. If someone would have mentioned it to me in conversation, I would have no idea what they're talking about. So it's Brunei, Jerusalem. Brunei. Brunei? Brunei, Jerusalem. I've only heard of Brunei, not the... Yeah. Oh, the, I just go by what it says on the Libsyn. Where's, hmm. is, where's Brunei? Where is it? It's in the Middle East. Oh, cool. Very cool. Like it's uh, officially the nation of Brunei, the adobe of... Ode of Peace is a sovereign state 
on the north coast of the island of Borneo in Southeast Asia. Does that make sense? Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So that puts us in uh, 81 now, and we still only have flyer pictures from three. So I think we can do a little, little better than that, guys. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into the flyer campaign a little later on. Okay. All right. So what's new, Red? You got any uh, juicy tidbits for us? I have a few. I think we can begin with something that my friend and mentor, Greg Taylor, posted today on the Daily Grail. Something pretty cool involving scientific studies, apparently confirming uh, the human ability to to sense the future before it happens. You know, so apparently there's uh, there was a study uh, in 2012 uh, meta-analysis experiments from seven independent laboratories uh, over the last 35 years which found that the human body can apparently detect randomly delivered stimuli occurring between 1 and 10 seconds in the future. Ah. So this is something like, yeah. Like, like the Sheldrake studies or whatever, right? Was it Sheldrake you in- did it? Intuition. Yeah, so, well, the, the term would be like presentiment or precognition, but, you know, it's, it's like if an archaeologist were to uh, mention Atlantis, you know, it's, it's the name that should not be named. So instead of presentiment, they prefer to call it predictive anticipatory activity or PAA for short. But basically nice. it's the same, you know, the, 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 uh, the body unconsciously is able to, to, to predict that some uh, big event of some big uh, stimuli it's going to be uh, presented and the bigger the, 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 the impact of the stimuli the, uh, the bigger the presentment wow that 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 kind of wraps into a whole bunch of different things like we we're talking about with heart math where exactly. or the, or the uh, random number generators are affected before a big event like 9-11 mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's interesting there, there's uh, an in, uh, they use a very interesting analogy or metaphor to explain the phenomenon. Uh, and let me read this. A metaphor might help to provide an intuitive feel for this effect. Watching a river move past a stick. The metaphor works as follows. Imagine that the direction of the water's current is the conscious experience of the flow of time or temporal flow. And imagine that an intrusion in the flow, which will be the stick, is an emotional, arousing, or otherwise important event. The largest disturbance in the water made by the intrusion is downstream, in other, way, in other words, in the forward time direction, which is analogous to our conscious reaction to experiencing the important event. But if, but if one examines the flow of water near the stick, one will also see a small perturbation upstream anticipating the intrusion in the water downstream due to the back pressure. Similar to PAA, this upstream perturbation is a hint of things to come. It is not normally part of our conscious awareness and, as with disturbances in a flow of water, the majority of the effect of an intrusion is downstream of the intrusion. So it's interesting because maybe for the most of us, you know, we can't. We don't have a, a, a really big stick, you know, put 
in the in the flow uh, uh, in the conscious temporal flow but maybe some people are so sensitive than uh, what most of us will only perceive unconsciously in uh, from one to ten seconds they may be able to to get a, a sense of it maybe days or years before it happens or can you work your muscle to grow your stick no what you got to do if you guys are having trouble doing it at this home Get a Q-tip or like a toothpick <laughs> and just stick it in your ear and you'll see the future. Hmm. The farther you stick it, the farther the future you can see. So you're talking about uh, uh, some kind of trauma, you know, imposed <laughs> on the body. And that's actually something that some people, uh, some people think that it could increase your perception of these uh, these non-linear events, right? You know, so, so maybe people who have uh, had a near-death experience or maybe suffer from uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, maybe they, they become more sensitive to this type of stimuli. They have a bigger stick in the water? Yeah, or they are more uh, sensitive to the upstream currents. Maybe psychedelics can do it too. Because remember, wasn't it Stanley Krippner that was that uh, had uh, visions of JFK's oh, death yeah, yeah. when he was on uh, psilocybin? Yeah, yeah. Maybe the yeah. psychedelics helps you to color yeah. the water. You know, the same way that you know engineers used uh, tints to color water and to an analyze airflows in aerodynamic models. Mm-hmm. You know, so it will have become much more apparent. Was there any um, idea of what it was? Was it the cells? Was it the organs? Like, like- no, this is no, this is this is very cutting edge science. You know, so so far the thing that researchers are agreeing is that all these uh, studies were conducted with sufficient. Uh, uh, scientific um, mm, scrutiny, you know, so they weren't biased. They 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 were following all scientific rules. So the thing is that they are acknowledging acknowledging that, you know, that uh, the key observation in these studies I'm reading here is that human physiology appears to be able to distinguish between unpredictable dichotomous future stimuli such as emotional. Uh, against BS neutral images or sound BS silence. This phenomenon has been called presentiment as in feeling the future. Well, so basically they, they, they are acknowledging, you know, okay, so th- there is something here. There is some unknown uh, f- physiological phenomenon. Huh? Where, where are the mechanisms to explain that phenomenon? That is a whole different matter that it may even take, I don't know, decades or maybe centuries before we can ascertain that. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. it's, a, it's an interesting a small step toward trying to uh, move away from the current materialistic uh, paradigm that, yeah. you know, your mind is only your brain, you know, your brain uh, firing up neurons, and there is no, no such thing as precognition, as there is no so, such thing as presentiments, you know, all the things that, that 
people like well like Michi Okako are buying are selling right now i don't know if you've if you've heard something about his recent book the future of the mind <laughs> i was listening to it on uh, mu i actually it's funny cuz i actually emailed uh, Michi's uh, press line today to try and line him up but i'm pretty sure he won't respond <laughs> well who knows cool, yeah you never know he might be wanting to sell his book yeah, exactly. That's what I, that's exactly what I was hoping for. So yeah, it's almost like the science behind the gut feeling, eh? Mm-hmm. You know, you have a gut feeling about something, and then yeah, it's kind of proving proving that there might yeah, be something to that. There, there, there may be some uh, evolutionary advantage to be uh, among the people who have uh, a stronger gut feeling. You know, maybe those are the people who, when they are. Um, Maybe in a violent scenario, like in a war, you know, or, or hunting or something, if you have a, a bigger gut feeling, that might be the difference between, you know, uh, life or death, yeah. Life or death, you know, maybe <clears throat> just seconds before a grenade uh, hits where you are, you, you just have the gut feeling to get out of the way, run the, the opposite direction. Because for me, in a, in a spiritual sense, it's hard to tell the difference between negative self-talk or, or some sort of negative thought pattern compared to like an actual gut feel, right? Like what, what's coming from your heart and what's coming from your ego in the head, you know, trying to separate the two can be tough. Yeah. Or it could, yeah. just, it could just be spillover too from like a subconscious fucking ability. Some people, you know what I mean? Uh, subconsciously can maybe see the future and they're like doing things to prevent their shit without even knowing it. Dodging bullets. Oh, okay. More like a... And then it spills over. More like an instinct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But a future instinct. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's, it's all very speculative at this point, but it's, it's fascinating nonetheless. Yeah, that's a good one. Thanks. Mm -hmm. what, do you have anything else? Yeah, we can talk about Mars if you like. <sighs> I always like to talk about Mars. <laughs> Yeah, Graham doesn't want to talk about Mars because he knows he's still a little, that he's he'll, a little never, <laughs> he'll never travel to Mars, at least not on Mars 1. Not on Mars 1. You could reapply, buddy. I could reapply. Yeah. I could just keep reapplying. Yeah, until 40, you hear 40 bucks the, every shot. And, and yeah, until you hear like a thousand or something. <laughs> then they just disappear. Mars 1 just disappears off the face of the Earth. Maybe I should have put more time into my application process. What if Mars ones, What if all the money of Mars ones was, you know, invested in bitcoins? <laughs> With all the shit happening to bitcoins, maybe that will be the end of it, of that project. Yeah, I'd like to get someone on to talk bitcoins because I don't really know for sure. Yeah. All about well, it. we had somebody recommended to us from from our artist friend Barry Hoon, so we'll have to maybe we'll follow up with that. I cuz I need to learn more about it too. I think you guys have uh, one guest coming up to the show, right? Who is uh, uh, very knowledgeable about uh, economic scandals and all that. Yeah. A couple. Yeah, a couple. Like who? Like John Perkins, the economic hitman, you mean? He just, uh, Red gives us a fucking law ball and both of us miss it. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys, pay yeah. attention. Oh, okay. I didn't know you wanted to know who it was. Yeah. 
Yeah, we got the economic hitman, uh, John Perkins. And uh, actually, later on tonight, we're interviewing Daniel Estelin, who's, uh, who's got quite a big... Uh, quite a big background in the Bilderbergs and, and stuff like that. Yeah, he's got a lot to say about economics, too. That's going to be a fascinating chat. Definitely. Yeah, so, and you should question those guys about Bitcoins, but getting back to Mars. Yeah, that's kind of where I thought you were going to go. So, Getting back to Mars. So, uh, remember in 1996 when NASA had this big press conference, even President Clinton, Clinton talked about it, you know, how they... Is claim that they had found evidence of uh, like nano fossilized uh, nano fossilized microorganisms in, in in inside a meteorite that they had found in Antarctica that came from Mars. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I remember that of, shit. Yeah, but all of that kind of fizzled out after many scientific critics. Uh, stepped in and, and, and said that there's no way that those uh, those type of features, you know, microscopic features, were the result of uh, biological activity. But nevertheless, I still the discussion is is still uh, raging on in the scientific community whether those type of evidence uh, of, of features in Martian meteorites are evidence of uh, past biological activity or not. So this week there was yet another uh, claim for, for an, from another uh, Martian meteorite in which uh, NASA scientists found uh, another, other types of very interesting uh, feature like tiny carbon-rich minerals which they say are, could be the result of uh, biological activity in Mars past. Huh. So uh, Alan Boyle wrote about it on his blog on NBC News, Cosmic, Cosmic Log. Um, and here you can f see the microscopic image, images where you see what they are like, uh, tiny like blobs that they say they are rich in carbon and they are the they could be the result of biological activity so those blobs were uh, caused by uh, some kind of microbe microbe snot a mars microbe Car carbon snot yeah micro microbiological uh, martian shit or something like that hey did they ever get that jade rabbit thing going again Does i think it's pretty much the uh, DOA by now. I remember know? it was going to be two weeks or something until the sun came up again, but I think that has passed. It's weird how you don't hear nothing. Like, I haven't heard fuck all about it in a while. I always wonder why, how we send all these this shit to Mars, but we don't have a couple of rovers. Like, if we would have put a rover on the moon when we first went there, we could have had that fucker, like, half, half checked out by now. I think that NASA prefers to send rovers to, the, to Mars because there's... There's, there are more things to, to investigate over there, hmm. you know, in, in, in terms of searching for water, searching for evidence of, uh, of life in other planets, you know. So, so, uh, the, so this carbon snot, is it, is it a big deal? Is this a big, uh, a big find? Is this going to lead to something? 
I think it leads to trying to strengthen the argument that yes, all these uh, Martian meteorites, you know, the things that NASA scientists are finding and that, that were initially dismissed as uh, contamination from when the meteorite hit uh, our own planet, you know, like millions of years ago, you know, whenever they found something weird there and said, no, 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 that's all the result of contamination. And all yet these NASA scientists, uh, they're saying, no, this is, this is not the result of contamination. This, this is activity. Uh, these are features that happened when the rock was still on Mars. So ah. then you need to explain it. Oh, okay. Huh. So it could validate panspermia a bit? Definitely. It could, it could validate the argument that maybe life on Earth was, some, was somehow kick-started by uh, the effect of uh, Martian meteorites. Yeah, it could also go right down the line of like what that new, I forget his name, um, that new fella that was saying that he talking that life would have been there's a his theory is that life is everywhere and we shouldn't be surprised to find life everywhere in the universe maybe it's not panspermia maybe it's fucking everywhere spermia yeah maybe, maybe uh, those ingredients are everywhere it's just a matter of so basically any planet that has the the ability for life to take hold it will omnispermia <laughs> omni omnispermia Exospermia. It's like jerking off over a big old ceiling fan. <laughs> yeah, but then again, you were talking about, I don't know, uh, mm, microscopic life, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is a completely different matter from intelligent microscopic life, like meaning us. <laughs> right? Yeah, well, it's the beginning of it. Exactly, the beginning of it, and maybe with any luck, and, uh, you know, through uh, evolutionary processes, you know, those tiny blobs then get to be, uh, turn into bigger blobs and then into even bigger blobs until finally something starts crawling out of the primordial soup. And then maybe in a couple e eons later, you know, they, they, they in invent the <laughs> Internet and whatever. <laughs> then they take over the world. And then, uh, then they make movies, Moais and pyramids and shit. And then they make the internet. And then, <laughs> and then they, they destroy the world. And, and then they legalize marijuana and they stop the voting. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Hey, well, wait, what we uh, we got to run into. Uh, I'm anxious for this week's uh, UFO oh, quote of the week. We, oh, got some good the feed, we got some good feedback on it. I've, I've got, I'm working on... Uh, on some uh, effects for it, but we're not there yet. This is your okay. first time here for our new segment, RPJ. It's not a Ooh. very long segment, but it's a we've got it's gotten some rave reviews so far. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm of course I'm happy to do it. So the RPJ will know of this quote. So will Leslie Keen, I'm sure. So uh, the Air Force has arrived at the conclusion that a certain number of anomalous phenomena has been produced in Belgian airspace. The numerous testimonies of ground observations reinforced by the reports of the night March 30 to 31st, 1990, have led us to face the hypothesis that a certain number of unauthorized aerial activities have taken place. The day will undoubtedly come when the phenomena will be observed with the technological means of detection and collection that won't leave a single doubt about its origin. 
This should lift a part of the veil that has covered the mystery for a long time, a mystery that continues to be present. But it exists, it is real, and that in itself is an important conclusion. That's from Colonel Wilfred de Brouwer, Chief of mm. Operations for the Belgian Air Force in 1990, following a spate of sightings over the country witnessed by hundreds of people. Many of the nice. sightings were confirmed on radar. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Belgian UFO flap of, the, of 1989 and 1990. Yeah, yeah, me too. Because I, I remember that from way back too. Actually, yeah, it, was the, it was the year of my sighting. Ah, really? So the thing about the the Belgian the Belgian wave is that some people uh, some people in in the UFO community speculate that oh maybe that was some kind of super secret uh, American military craft that they were testing over Belgian soil. But yeah, that there are some problems with that argument. You know, even that uh, Colonel uh, it is what the the Brower or yeah. what is. The Brower, he uh, contacted people in, 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 in the Pentagon, in, in the American government. They, 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 he asked them specifically, hey, are you guys testing some kind of uh, secret technology over here? And they said, no. And by the way, do you have any more information about that? You know, anything <laughs> you, you, you want to share with us? And you could say, oh, well, this, this kind of, Technologies that need to know basis, so there are the super secret black government, you know, is aside uh, or independent from, you know, the standard uh, normal military personnel or, mm -hmm. or procedures. Mm -hmm. But then again, you, you still need to follow this argument. I think, at least that's my opinion, that if they are testing secret technology, over civilian uh, areas, you know, over highly populated areas in another country. You know, you're talking about allegedly experimental technology. So what happens if that technology fails? Yeah, you just gave your shit away. Not only that, but you could also risk the lives of hundreds of even thousands of innocent civilians. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so, so either, either that technology is already perfected, perfected enough that it will pose no threats whatsoever to the civilian population if you are flying those things over their cities, or those objects belong to someone else. The Bilderbergers. I think that the, that was dropping off Bilderbergers at one of their meetings in Belgium. My, my, I still, I still maintain that those were legitimate UFO. I mean, I mean, legitimate, uh, I mean, uh, non-human, yeah. non-human non yeah. technology. Yeah. Uh, well, and even I'm saying technology because I really don't, you don't can't know who find, driving. I, yeah. I know. And I, also because I can't find a better term for it. You know, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I allude that there were some kind of technology because I'm, thinking that there were some kind of uh, metallic uh, craft, but even those, those assumptions that they were metallic, that they were craft, and they were produced by some kind of technology are, are only that, assumptions. Maybe they're 3D printed. <laughs> Maybe. You know, have you heard to Richard Dolans on his, on his recent uh, uh, interviews? The, yeah, the last one with Mysterious right. Universe? Yeah, that's where I heard that, where he's talking about like, 
Uh, did MU have him on before we got a chance to? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and also, Mike Cleland yeah. uh, recorded a, a, an incredible interview with him last Sunday. He, I think he just posted it. Cool. Today. And, man, you, you guys, everyone uh, listening to this, please, after you listening to, to the Great America show, go to Hidden Experience. Uh, the hidden experience blogpost.com and listen to the, the, the to the audio interview with Richard Dolan. It will blow your fucking mind out. Yeah, right on. I can't wait. Yeah, was that him that was talking about 3D printed shoes and shit that'll be alive? Well, okay, so in the Studios Universe, it talked about 3D printing stuff and maybe whether UFOs are actually some kind of uh, locally grown, you know, entities, you know? using uh, Earth DNA, like maybe human DNA, and maybe even combining them with, you know, uh, reptilian DNA or maybe insect DNA, you know, so that will maybe explain all the reports of uh, mantoids or, rep or uh, reptilian-like entities. But the stuff that he was discussing with Mike was even better. You know, uh, Graham, you will love this. Yeah, yeah. So Richard has been practicing yoga for the last i think the last past year Ooh. and and he says that many of the uh, of the assumptions he had when he began uh, his career you know in studying ufos have changed because of this wow, wow. so like he's opening up to the light to the consciousness and love and light side of the yeah, ufo cool. field man i just did <laughs> hot yoga like four times in the last five days i'm like fully back into the practice so mm -hmm. yeah awesome is hot yoga better than cold yoga yeah kind of <laughs> okay <laughs> just wonder it's easier to to be flexible and sweat like it feels like a real workout like a fucking huge workout i went to one class it was so hard and i'm in pretty good shape and i almost puked halfway through i was like 20 minutes in i was like holy fuck i gotta stop this it was Whoa. crazy just because it was a totally different style of class it was really fast and really hot so yeah that was good what's what's hot what's really hot 115 degrees maybe oh it's like hot in the room that's what hot yoga is it's yeah, hot yeah. no because <laughs> that was, I was thinking of yoga pants hot. <laughs> I was like, I don't know why they call it hot yoga. Every time you say I'm going to hot yoga, I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about? Oh, no. Like, when like, I who sweat, knows like, what you've got going on? It I could be some weird <laughs> fucking yoga club where everyone's dressed everyone's up hot. weird. And so yeah. the last class I went to, 20 minutes in, there wasn't a dry spot left on my shirt, like sweating, pouring off you. You heard it here folks, first, folks. <laughs> I think you need to put some kind of uh, Cinemax type of soundtrack when <laughs> when Graham starts to discuss his yoga activities, you know, for the ladies listening. <laughs> There's not many ladies listening. We don't have to worry. Oh, maybe Darren's you mom. You don't know my mom, that. My mom, mom won't even listen anymore. You know, maybe, maybe that new uh, fan in Brunei, you know, maybe it's, uh, <laughs> a girl who has the hearts for you, man. Yeah, that's okay. So let's move on. <laughs> okay. How do you oh, move on? Oh, what else? What else? Now, Darren wanted to mention uh, we've got some more. We've got some bloggers we want to talk about. It, Darren. Oh, perfect. Oh well, yeah. We well, I've got a new one in the works. I don't want to say nothing quite yet, 
but uh but it looks like we'll have a new blogger coming on board uh gonna be writing about um culture i think occult in uh pop culture oh nice so um i've been i've been emailing back and forth with them uh i'm pretty sure it's 100 percent, but i don't want to uh i'll wait and make sure so we can look forward to another blogger joining the team and of course check head over to grimerica.ca and and check out the blogs because we've got some some great great bloggers over there writing some great stuff so <laughs> i got a kicked out of uh, jared grace's uh post about Mexico's island uh, island of the dolls over in Xochimilco. <laughs> oh yeah, I seen that. I seen that when I said I was oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, re I remember that comment thread. Yeah, folks, you you need you uh, beside the post you also need to re read our comments because <laughs> we got a lot of back and forth. Oh, I worldwide. meant to go there and read the rest of them today and I forgot. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty funny. Uh, we got an email too. We got a few emails actually. Um, we got one from Spork Saber. He says, "Hi guys, love the show. Heard about you from er, uh, either No Agenda or a Hagman and Hagman Report. Love the seg love the new segment. Don't stop." So I uh, thanks uh, Spork Saber for the comments. Nice, nice. Always good to get feedback. Yeah, and uh, we, we got a lot of tweets too. A lot of tweets about the UFO segment. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good one. I'm looking forward to continuing on that. And everybody has a podcast, Aaron. We were, uh... Yeah, I can't remember if we mentioned it or not, but if you guys, uh, if we haven't, uh, we were on Everybody Has a Podcast uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. Something like that. Anyway, mm -hmm. it's, it's over out there. There's a link to it on our website. Uh, um, somewhere in there under the Grimerica show, there's a link to their download. Or you can head over to everybodyhasapodcast.com and and check it out and check out the rest of their stuff too because they're it's fucking hilarious yeah you've been listening to them since that right it's been good yeah yeah it's hilarious good stuff all right mm -hmm. so something else we want to we want to start here um is again the the higher side chats greg carlwood started his uh, money bomb over there and it's going really good so basically we are going to adopt that idea so we're asking for contributions to grimerica basically just to cover our, some of our expenses and we will give half the total back to a lucky listener. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, you contribute any amount every month. Uh, yeah, it'll be a new a new round every month, I think. Yeah. So uh, you can either make a donation five, ten dollars, whatever you want, or um, keep everything on the level. You can also. Uh, Mail mail a postcard to our PO box. Yeah. Uh, do you have the PO box handy there? Yeah, it's one six zero three three, and that's eight one five Seventeenth Ave, Southwest Calgary, T two T five H seven. Yeah, and of course that's always available at grimerica.ca slash contact as well. So yeah, if you can't afford, I know a lot of people can't afford uh, can't afford any, the extra cash. So you can always just mail us a postcard to. And uh, that'll enter you in that month's uh, that month's round, or you can go and put up a Grimerica flyer someplace, take a picture of it, email it to us, and that'll get you in that month's running as well. So basically, what we're gonna do is, if it's uh, if we take in less than a hundred dollars, then we'll give a uh, hundred percent back to whoever wins the draw that month. I think I'm gonna print them out. I'll print out all the email addresses and I'll put them in a box, and I'm gonna let my daughter pick one out. 
Nice. I must say that the, the this money bomb scheme is a pretty ingenious and pretty novel, you know, economic model for the social networks. You know, like a positive self-reinforcing loop of goodwill. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 good because it helps people donate a bit, right? If if uh, mm-hmm. like I donate to other podcasts and stuff like that, but giving me a chance to. Uh, to win money that then I can do with what I want with it, it it would sort of help me, uh, you know, maybe push me over the edge to donate more. Yeah, and even if you don't win, you know that uh, some other lucky listener is going to be benefited by it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not a lottery. It's mm-hmm. not a lottery. <laughs> so Darren, Darren's got another idea here he wants to talk about. Oh, shit. I forgot all about that. Do you want to mention it? Oh, yeah, yeah. We might as well bring that up. So, yeah, we're uh, there's another little fun thing. Uh, we're going to have the page up there. We're going to have uh, the $5 a month subscription plan, and that'll put you in the money bomb every month. Uh, and with mm-hmm. that, that will come along with, uh, if, you, if you choose, that comes along with a Grimerica email address. So uh, we're going to throw those mm, out there yeah. for, for a while anyway. It'll probably get capped eventually because I don't feel like dealing with too many of them. But uh, we, we can definitely do it for a little while. So I think we're going to do, uh, yeah, if you can hop on the $5 a month thing, you get an email address or give us, should we do a one-time too? Or? No, 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 no yeah. it's okay. Comes yeah. with comes with signing up for the Money Bomb. If you choose, you can come up with the Grimeric email address. So we'll we'll write all this down and we'll have it on a on a page on the website. And of course, you can just donate once in a while if you want to do it that way too. You don't have to be in the money bomb every month. You do it as you please. Yeah. What do you think, sweet. RPJ? Sweet, sweet. So the the Grimerica email address will it will it include some kind of video chat? So all the people from Yahoo who are that are creeped out. From the fact that <laughs> all these all these intelligence agencies are mining and, and are snooping on all their video chats, you know, especially the ones that are involving sexually explicit content. Maybe they will decide to come over to Grimerica, where they know that they will have a little more privacy. Well, I won't look at it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know enough about. Uh encryption or anything like that to do anything i don't really i i assume that my host has decent our host has our host encryption. Yeah. yeah so we'll see it's just an idea see how it goes over yeah we'll see how it goes so we'll fire it up see i think uh uh we'll probably we'll see how that we'll see how it goes we might let the first one run through right till the end, end of april and uh and take it from there. But yeah, it's a good idea. We think it's a good idea that THC came up with. So we're going to try it out here and see if we can offset some of our expenses and, and help out a listener every month with, you know, hopefully eventually a random hundred dollars or $70 or whatever. Every little bit helps out there. Yeah. Greg's is already up to like 800, I think. So that's pretty cool. I think that that about wraps it up for the intro. We've got Jim Harold coming up. Uh, fascinating guy. He's basically got, you know, he's, he's built a, built his own business on this, uh, this model of podcasting and books about the paranormal. And, and he's a fascinating guy to listen to. He's got lots of good, good podcasts, the campfire stories. Books. Yeah. Books. We used we used his book before. Yeah. Yeah. In our Halloween episode. Yeah. Paranormal podcast. 
Yeah, have you have you checked out much of uh, Jim stuff, RPJ? I've listened. Oh, you to must have met him too, his... eh? I really didn't have a chance to talk to him directly. But yeah, I I noticed that uh, Graham uh, he had a chance to chat with him, and he I think that uh, Jim gave him a, a lot of uh, good advice, you know, about the podcast and all that. Yeah, yeah, it was fascinating. Yeah, we did a little. He he uh, interviewed me a little bit too, and yeah, gave me a book. It's pretty cool. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's a great chat. I hope you guys in, enjoy it. So, so like we say, guys, uh, flyer picks, postcards, uh, contributions. We'll get this money bomb thing going, and uh, see if we can't help each other out. Uh, big thanks to RPJ, of course, for for coming back and joining us. And, Anytime, uh, guys. I think yeah. on that note, we will uh, take a quick break and jump into our chat with um, Jim Harrell. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, guys, next up in Grimerica, we're going to be talking with the one and only Jim Harold, uh, podcaster, author, and an all-around interesting guy. Uh, but first, you know him as Graham. How's it going tonight, buddy? And I'm Graham. Hey, Darren. I'm doing well, buddy. I switched it up. You see yeah, that? Yeah, thanks. That was good. <laughs> I'm excited about tonight's show. We've got uh, Jim Harold here. I met him at Paradigm 2013. It was kind of cool to uh, to chat with a fellow podcaster, and of course, we were just starting up, and... I'd heard about Jim for years, and I'd listened to him a little bit, and then I got to meet him in person. So Jim Harold is like one of the most popular paranormal podcast hosts, and he's got two free podcasts, one called The Paranormal Podcast, and the other one is Jim Harold's Campfire. That's probably like how it sounds, lots of campfire stories. He's written a couple books, Jim Harold's Campfire True Ghost Stories, and uh, one that he gave us, and we talked about on the show a couple times, True Ghost Stories, Jim Harold's Campfire 2. I think that was on our Halloween special. Yes, it was, yeah. Yeah, we read a couple stories. Darren wasn't too happy with the ones I picked. but <laughs> So uh, Jim, Jim holds a master's degree in applied communication theory and methodology, and he's accredited as a certified digital media consultant by the Radio Advertising Bureau. And he's had the opportunity to teach at the university level. But uh, Jim's obviously decided to, to get behind the mic and, and follow his passion and do some paranormal podcasting. So we got lots to talk about tonight, Jim, and welcome to Grimerica. Thanks, guys. Great to, to be here. And uh, so good to uh, talk with you and your listeners about the paranormal and uh, 
uh, looking forward to having a lot of fun tonight. So uh, you've got your your own show. Actually, you've got uh, two shows, like Graham said. Can you kind of, uh, for the for the one or two of our listeners that might not have heard of Jim Harold before, can you kind of give us a rundown? Or what what came first for you? Was it was it writing, or was it the podcast, and kind of how you stumbled into this this fucked up little world of ours? Yeah, exactly. Well, um, basically, what happened was is that I had gone to school for broadcasting. I'm like in my mid forties, so. Uh, and, uh, it was 2005 and I said, you know, uh, I'm never going to be able to really broadcast that, that dream is gone because actually I was working in media behind the scenes and advertising and things like that, but not in front of the mic. So it always bugged me that I never really followed that. And I heard about this thing called podcasting and I said, Hmm, you know, I might be able to do that. You know, it's kind of a home roll your own talk show. And uh, so I decided, I think I want to do one of those. And then I started to think about the topic. I thought, I just don't want to do something just to do a podcast. I want to do something I'm truly fascinated in uh, about and, and something I'm really interested in. And I kept thinking about, you know, what do I tune when I'm tuning through the cable channels? What do I look for? When I go into a bookstore, a library, where do I head? And over and over, it kept coming to me um, that I had a fascination with the paranormal and had it since I was a little kid. I mean, back in the, the, the 70s, I used to watch uh, the American show uh, In Search Of, incessantly. Uh, I, don't, and, I remember, I was a huge yeah. Unsolved Mystery fan. Did they have yeah, that down Yeah, I love that too. Yeah, we did have that down. Robert Stack of Untouchables fame, yeah, in the, the 80s and the early 90s. Uh, and after In Search Of, I kind of graduated to that and always... Uh, loved that, and uh, I thought, you know what, I can do interviews with people. You know, maybe nobody will listen to it. I did it solely as a hobby, and uh, started in 2005. Kind of dabbled for a couple of years to do a show and not do a show for six months and then do another show. And finally, after two or three years, I got serious. And uh, uh, let's see, almost two years now I've been doing it full-time as my job, and uh, the books came later. Uh, the first book came in 2011. Second book came last year. The third book will be this year, hopefully, in time for the Halloween season. And it's just been great. I love the subject matter. The funny thing is, is when, and you guys, I'm sure, can appreciate this. When I first started, I'm like, this will be great. I'll interview all these really smart people, and I'll have all this paranormal stuff figured out in six months. <laughs> and now, uh, <laughs> it didn't work out like that. More, I have more, more questions. questions. Yeah, yeah it, it is like you go down the wormhole, right? It's kind of like, uh, it's like, wait a minute, or the rabbit hole. You just go up is down, down is up, left is right. And, and things Tunnels that, all over the place. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is I used to think about it and all this paranormal stuff in very like discrete silos. UFOs were over here. Ghosts were over here. Cryptids were over here. And now sometimes it seems like they're all just kind of, uh, it's like a paranormal mashup. And, and they all have possibly are interrelated. So I'm, I'm, I'm confused as hell, actually. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm having a great time being, uh, being uh, confused, and uh, I really enjoy it. And i got to say, I forgot to mention the intro. Graham helped me at Paradigm Symposium. I want to publicly thank him for that because I was oh, doing, thanks, my, my, doing my Jerry Lewis impersonation, trying to balance books <laughs> and things. And he came to my rescue and helped me carry some books in. So thank you for that. But, hey, you're welcome. But anyway, I love what I do. Uh, couldn't think of anything more fun 
and uh, just enjoy it and talk to people. And the cool thing is, we, you know, I'm in the States here in Canada, and I'm sure you guys have listeners all over from probably Australia and the UK, and, and talking to people all over the world about this stuff because it's like a real common theme, and we see these things repeating from society to society. Yeah, your, your love of it really comes through, I think. And it's fascinating that you've been into it since really the beginning of podcasts. Yeah, you must have really been one of the, you must have been one of the, f- the first podcasts out there. Like that's kind of, I think around, I'm thinking 2006, 2007 must have been the first. Maybe. Yeah, well, there were podcasts. I mean, I think I came on board right after iTunes. Right, uh, Put it right. into the directory. In 2005, it was like a month later. I had actually, before it was in iTunes, I had planned to do one. And I remember going to, there was a site, I think it's still out there. I don't know if it's updated. It's called Podcast Alley. And oh, yeah, I went okay. there and I thought, okay, well, let me see. There's got to be paranormal podcasts out there. And there were 20 of them. And I thought, oh, my God, how am I going to stand out out of 20 different shows? And now there's probably 20,000, you know, um, which is fine. I mean, that's great. And the other thing, and, and the luckiest thing for me, and I think something that's really helped the popularity of the show, and it was pure luck, was when I was looking to name the show, uh, the Paranormal Podcast, I thought, well, what can I call it? Now, I'm not the brightest guy and not the most creative, so I thought, well, it's a podcast, and it's on the Paranormal so why don't I call it the Paranormal <laughs> Podcast? And I thought for sure somebody has that, and they didn't. Yeah. So yeah. the nice thing is now when somebody Googles Paranormal Podcast, you can guess what comes up. Yeah, so I yeah, think that's, that's great. That's, that's, that's helped a lot. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's I, not talent, it's luck. <laughs> I seem really attracted to the podcasts that have been around for a while. Like I'm, even some of the, the non-paranormal ones I listen to are guys that have been doing it for many, many years, so... Like the Dan Carlins of the world. Oh, Dan Carlin is awesome. Uh, Dan Carlin is, in fact, I can tell you that Dan Carlin uh, indirectly played a major role in me taking it seriously. I was at a um, t-ball game my daughter had, and I guess this makes me a bad dad, but I was listening to Hardcore History, which is a fantastic (laughs) podcast. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And um, I kept, I told my wife, you know, I'm getting emails all the time People wanting, when's the next episode? When's the next episode? And, and this guy's doing it, and he's getting sponsors. Yeah. And he's yeah. great, and he's still way better than I am. Uh, but oh, I wouldn't go um, that far. Well, I feel he is. He's yeah. an artist. I mean, he, but he really is a craftsman. But, but the, the, the point is, is that I'm like, you know, if he can do it, I can. Why don't I get serious with it? And so in a way, I think Dan, I've never spoken to Dan, don't know Dan. Dan, I'm sure, doesn't know me. But I'd like to thank him publicly because indirectly, it's kind of like, wait a minute, what are you doing here? You've got something people have shown an interest. Take the ball and run with it. What so, fast, what, go ahead. Go but, ahead. But, but, but uh, so Dan Carlin is one of my podcasting idols. Yeah, it's, it's funny. One of the things that really intrigued me, too, is I would listen to guys like Dan Carlin or, or yourself or even – you know, a variety of topics, really, like pick my favorite topic and then find the podcast that resonates the most with me. But I would email guys and they would get back to me. So it was interesting how I could actually communicate with people directly. And Dan Carlin, I emailed him a couple times and uh, I mentioned something about UFOs to him because something had happened. I don't know if it was Stevensville or something was in the media. Right. And he was he says, I I almost do the show on it. 
I was really close, but I decided to wait or something, or I decided not to. So I was kind of bugging him. I, every once in a while, I go, so uh, <laughs> how about that UFO show you're going to do? I go, beware. I think I kind of warned him. I said, you know, beware. That's quite the rabbit hole. You might not want to go down or something. But Yeah, that's that's a good point. But, but boy, does he do a great job. And what's interesting, now, I haven't followed him. Uh, I used to listen to a ton of podcasts, and the truth is I'm so busy now making podcasts because of my free podcasts, and I have my premiere, my plus podcasts. So I'm so busy doing that and the books and everything. I have very little time to actually listen to podcasts. But as I recall, he doesn't really have a super regular schedule. But the thing is, the podcasts are so good that they, they stand on their own. And people, I think, think, hey, it might be worth two or three weeks or a month to wait for this next podcast. Because really is kind of, he's, I, I kind of consider him like the Ken Burns of audio podcast. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I just found, I learned about podcasting. I think about twelve months before I had a podcast. Yeah, I think that's very common. See, the thing about podcasting is that if you remember two thousand five, two thousand six, it was the hot thing. You know, podcasting I think was the word of the year one of those years, and then it was podcasting is dead because YouTube came along and it's very glamorous and people get millions of views and all of that, and. The funny thing was, is that podcasting was dead, but there were guys like me and Carlin and a lot of other people, Leo Laporte, uh, the list goes on and on, who kept producing podcasts. I don't put myself in their same category, except that I was doing podcasts at the time. And um, they, the audiences continued to grow slowly, but they continued to grow. They never went down. And then something very important happened, something that all of us carry around with us. Ah, yes. And before you had to plug it into your computer and update through iTunes if you had an uh, iPod or an iPod, uh, you know, it was out before the iPhone was even out. But it was a big pain. Now everybody's carrying basically a media player around with them all the time, and it's getting easier and easier and easier to consume them. And I think that'll only increase. That's probably why you just found out about it 12 months before you started doing it, I'm guessing. Yeah, probably. Well, Graham turned me on to, to podcasts, and then uh, I think it was probably about six months later I was bugging him to start our own. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will mention this, and this is a little plug. I'm actually teaching a class right now on podcasting. I just started this over the last month or so. It's over at podcastwithjim.com. The premise is how to create a podcast without breaking the bank, because I started off basically with a $50 headset and a crappy Windows computer. Not saying anything against Windows, just it was a it's crap. Okay this to was, say this was literally a, a crappy Windows computer. But um, anyway, um, that's the way I started. Now, I think maybe someone will want to do a little better than I did initially. Uh, but it's so cheap to do. And it's just really, if you're willing to put the time in, and I'm sure you guys have found it tremendously rewarding, whether it's rewarding personally, professionally, financially, whatever. I think most people that put out a podcast, even though it is work, there's no question, it can be a heck of a lot of fun. And it gets you the opportunity, if nothing else. I know for me, the first few years, I didn't make a penny. But it was so cool to be able to, hey, I talked to Stanton Friedman the other day. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Talked to, I talked to Brad Steiger the other day. I mean, that's worth something. And, and every category has their Brad Steigers and their Stanton Friedmans and their Bill Burns and their Nick Redferns. And... To be able to go into that space and say, hey, I'm going to do a show about it. You know, if you're into bottle cap collecting, you know, you want to become the best known bottle cap collector in the world, start a podcast on it. Put it in some forums. All of a sudden, people are going to say, hey, that's the show to go to for bottle cap collecting. So that's the premise, uh, whether it's for a hobby or it's just for fun. 
And uh, that's podcastwithjim.com. I'm a big believer in this medium. I think it's fantastic. I think it's great to develop relationships. And uh, I, I just love it. So you think it's growing still? Like even though there's, you oh, know, know everybody, everybody has a podcast these days. Like well, do you think the there's point. still like a lot of untapped potential there? Well, yes, because first of all, um, I hate to say this, but I'm guessing for every 10 people that start a podcast, one will stick with it. So that's the first thing. I mean, people have been doing radio, television, writing, you know, for, well, in case of writing, for thousands of years. But um, whatever the medium, there have been people doing it. Yeah, I think there's absolutely opportunity. A good example is there's a guy who started, I can't remember his name, I think John Lee Dumas started a show called Entrepreneur on Fire. He started it a year ago, and he has like a million downloads a week or some crazy number. And, and, and by the time he started, there were, you know, a gazillion business podcasts, but this guy just decided to start. And something that he did right. had a unique niche. For example, one of the most popular podcasts, Mark Marin, has been done, uh, doing a show maybe for two or three years, and he's probably got the hottest podcast out there. Now every comedian wants a podcast. Um, th- I feel like a slacker. I've been doing it for nine years, and I don't approach their numbers. So the people like that. So my point is, is that if you've got something good, it's something valuable. Yeah, I don't think there's any better time to start a podcast than right now. Wow. Hmm. We were, and we, it's only going to grow. It's early. only going to grow. Well, that's what I was going to say. I still, <laughs> I, the curve. I still talk to people that don't really know what a podcast is, which is interesting. Or they kind of have heard it, but they don't really. Right. And, oh, yeah. There's and, still people like that. And some people aren't interested, even though they like maybe talk radio or something. They're just not. They haven't really found their passion with it right. yet. So well, I think another I think another thing that's going to help if you look at Apple and I know we're a paranormal <laughs> show and we're kind of going down the podcast area, but I, I love talking about podcasting too, is that if you look at Apple, for example, is going to introduce iOS in the car here in the next couple of years. Um, I think in Hondas and some other brands. Um, the tele, to me, see, I used to work in radio uh, behind the scenes, and the thing the advantage that radio always had and still has is you push a button and it's on. And people are fundamentally lazy. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that the closer the podcasting comes to that experience, and we're getting closer if you look at something like Stitcher Radio. Yeah. You know, it's basically you push a button and it works. And once people have uh, something in their car that says, and, and I know there are some that actually have this now, but something's very easy. It says podcast and they push a button and it works and they don't have to fiddle with it a lot. I mean, it's going to be a learn. It's it's not 100 percent there. That's why YouTube is so popular. You just send a link, you click on, boom, it plays. Right. Um, I think that it'll take longer. And, and and podcasting is a different thing. The numbers are smaller, but you said something uh, interesting about you wrote the podcaster and they wrote you back. And I bet you most of the podcasters that you listened to for a long time, you felt you knew them. And yeah, you felt that yeah. you had a personal relationship with them. But yeah, yeah. if you watch Friday on YouTube, you don't necessarily feel like you have a relation or, or some funny video, a Jimmy Fallon video or whatever it is. You don't necessarily feel you have a relationship with that person by watching that two minute viral funny YouTube video. But podcasts you listen to, again, the numbers are much smaller, but the relationships are much deeper. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. So I think it's uh, for me, podcasting is quality over quantity. You may not have as many followers, but you will have people who really buy into what it does, uh, what you do. And, and if you're likable at all, you're going to find some people who like what you like. 
Yeah. Yeah. Do you put yours up to YouTube uh, as well? Not right now. I did a, I actually did a video podcast for two years. Um, the paranormal report. I'm actually looking at reviving that. And, uh, this, uh, this spring, maybe I did it with a guy who was on the American, uh, cable channel, Fox news. Uh, it wasn't political in any way. He's also interested in the paranormal. And, uh, we did that for two years and it was very popular. And, um, uh, that's something I'm really looking forward to reviving. That was a weekly clip show. So we would show clips of videos of UFOs and and things like that, and then we would analyze them and talk about them. And that was very popular, and I'm looking forward to um, adding that back in. And that's a, that was a video podcast. Yeah, but, that, yeah, that would be great. I'd love to, yeah, to check yeah. that out. So what about yeah. just audio on YouTube? I haven't done that yet. Okay. No. okay. Just, and it's probably, frankly, laziness. And the other thing is, is that the way my, um, my programs work, I rotate them from a free side over to a paid side. So my free shows are free for 90 days and then they rotate over to my pay site. Right. So I guess it makes sense not to put them up there because then they would be up there and you know, but no one would want to pay for them. Plus I have a lot of exclusive shows that I, I do pay only. Right. I actually do a true crime show, for example, and I do one on UFOs and one on conspiracies. And so I have uh, several different shows I do as part of my Paranormal Plus Club. But if nobody's ever heard me, I never steer them in the paid direction. I say, listen to the, as many free podcasts as you can over at jimherald.com, iTunes, wherever, and, and see if uh, it's something that you like. Yeah, that's that's great. I heard recently you're talking about a couple of webinars too, or something. So you've got some unusual type stuff going on with some of your guests too, right? Oh yeah, we do as part of my Paranormal Plus Club. Um, we do probably four or five classes a year, and those are video webinars, like a conference presentation that you would see. And we just had a two-parter with David Weatherly, who talked about black-eyed kids and strange paranormal intruders and the gin. And what we basically do is bring to people in the comfort of their own home on something like a go-to-webinar, just like you would use in business. We let the presenter give a presentation just as they would at a conference. The only difference is you can watch it from your own home. You can actually call in and ask questions live. Or if you miss it, it's archived uh, over at my Paranormal Plus site. And uh, you can watch it. And I think we have maybe, I don't know, probably well over a 12 or 15 sessions already archived over there that people can watch in addition to listening to all the podcasts. Hmm. So you could just get the scare, the shit scared out of you at home and comfort. Exactly. Your, that's, that's, uh, the, that's the idea. That's exactly right. <laughs> so you've, uh, okay. you've been at Brought this, to you by depends. Yeah, yeah. You've been at this, uh, nine years. You must've interviewed hundreds of people. Uh, any standouts? Well, I love, uh, Brad Steiger. Um, uh, it, 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 for those who aren't familiar, he's really kind of the, the, I don't know, the granddaddy of them all, so to speak. He's in his seventies and he's written, God, I don't know how many books, like six, I'm probably way underestimating it. I don't know if it's like a hundred books or something all on the paranormal. And he has written on everything. I mean, every possible, possible paranormal topic you can think of, he has written on. Mm-hmm. Very nice man, and he has this great voice, and I can't even begin to impersonate it. <laughs> well, Jim, let me tell you about the UFOs. Uh, but uh, I can't do it, but he, he, he's fantastic. Nice guy, and I get to talk to him once or twice every year, and it's literally a highlight of my year. 
Another guy that I like to talk to, and I haven't for a while, I don't think he's come out with a book for about a year and a half now, is there's a gentleman in Ireland. His name is Bob Curran. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. And he's done books on vampires and uh, different creatures and cryptids and different things. And he'll be, Jim, I've got to tell you about the vampires. <laughs> and, and, and he's so great. I, I love him. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, fantastic uh, she's very accomplished. She's written a book with George Norrie. She's written tons of books. She knows every uh, topic out there. Uh, Grammy will appreciate Nick Redfern. Fantastic. Uh, and a hell of a nice guy. I mean, I was just astounded. I'm like, because he looks, I don't know if you've, uh, I, uh, the audience has seen a picture of Nick, but he's kind of an intimidating looking guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I, he's one of the nicest people I've ever met. Yeah. But yeah. he knows, and actually, I kind of consider him like the young Brad Steigers, like a protege. Uh, I love talking to Stanton Friedman. He was great. Jeff Belandre, if you know him, over from ghostvillage.com. He's, he's always a lot of fun. It's hard to pick out, you know, literally, you said hundreds, and I know I've done probably altogether over... 800 paranormal podcasts. Now, some of those have been campfire and paranormal podcasts, some of my other shows. It's hard to remember everybody. I'm oh, sure yeah, yeah, that, yeah, like, yeah. like tonight I'll think of, damn, why didn't I say that person? It's really hard to figure out, but it's really interesting. Now I've also talked to some people who, well, let's put it this way. <laughs> I don't know if their, their load, their load may have been a few bricks shy. I had one guy who said, well, you know, I uh, teleported. One day I was in a northern climate and it was cold and I teleported to the Bahamas and I had a delightful afternoon with two young women. And then I came back and I, I had, and this wasn't a campfire thing. This was like an author, a guest. And I said, well, can you repeat that in laboratory uh, environments? And he, he said, well, no, that's, of course, that's, that's not the way it works. Um, but anyway, I've never had him back. Uh, but <laughs> I'm like, come on. Uh, but, but, and not to say that I don't believe in the improbable. I do. I, I think that there's a hell of a lot of stuff, uh, that goes on that we don't understand. And I think that we as humans, most of us tend to overestimate our understanding of the world. An example, DNA. DNA has always existed, Right. You know, a hundred years ago, if you would have told somebody about DNA, they would have said, ah, you're just making that stuff up. Yeah. Uh, but they, on the other hand, they believed in the ether. So, <laughs> so now we, we talk to scientists and we say, well, what if this, what if that, one of the, and they're like, ah, you're crazy. That couldn't be. And I just think that sometimes people, particularly in the scientific community, just think they've got it all figured out. And, and, and God bless science. I mean, right now we're doing something that years ago would have taken a satellite to do. So God bless science. I love science. Science is great. But I think sometimes we get this feeling, well, you know, we're really, really intelligent and we've got life all figured out. And uh, my friends, I don't think we have one-tenth of one percent of life figured out. It's way more complex than I think we can even comprehend. And that's why... Earlier, I said, you know, I started asking these questions and now I'm, I'm just totally confused because there is so much out there. And I, I think that sometimes we need to be a little more humble and understand that we don't understand it all or even a little bit of it. What do you think about the possibility that 100 years ago DNA didn't exist 
And it wasn't until we it was de- a construct. Yeah, it, it does. It wasn't until we developed technology that allowed us to look at things that small that it, that uh, that uh, reality had to come up with something for us to see. Yeah, so as so I'm hearing shades of Schrodinger's cat here, right? <laughs> Uh, you know, the, 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 the observe change by the, the act of observation. Yeah. And it's uh, a big thing in like, uh, like in a, in a simulated or digital universe ideas, uh, scenario as well. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people now who are saying that we are possibly a simulation, right? So I, the, the, the thing I hate to say is, I, I mean, the quote rational side of me thinks, ah, DNA was always here. But I couldn't say that even the guy that teleported, I mean, it's it, it's tough to be critical sometimes because I can't say with 100 percent certitude that he didn't teleport. I, I find it kind of highly unlikely. Yeah. But but um, well, maybe maybe he did. But the two chicks thing, that's a bit unlikely. Yeah. He, he went there and he was like he couldn't you know, he couldn't he couldn't buy a woman a drink. You know, He's that would be the, that would be the ironic thing, wouldn't it? If he, he did actually go. But but he totally struck out. Or because he was so frozen still. He's like, I was in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> he just imagined the women. The, yeah. the, the, the teleporting was real. But that is one of the more interesting theories out there is this idea that uh, this is all a simulation. But then sometimes I also wonder, a lot of times we, we, we pick up these things from popular culture or movies, Matrix and so forth. Uh, that that are we just coming up with these things because we saw it in a movie? You know, it did. I'd be interested, and I'm sure there have been analysis done after Close Encounters of the Third Kind came out. Uh, was there a spike in UFO sightings after Communion by Whitley Strieber came out? Uh, was there a spike in alien abduction stories? I mean, I know I certainly heard a lot more of it after that book. Um, so sometimes I wonder, because my theory of the paranormal is that there is a percentage that is real and is representing something very unusual going on. But I think there's probably a larger percentage that are people maybe seeing things mm. that they want to see. Yeah, maybe. Or, or imagining things where they're not and yeah. seeing ghosts where they're not. Even though I very much believe there is something going on, I also believe that sometimes, you know, we watch all the ghost hunting shows and and we immerse ourselves in this stuff and it's really bad because this is my job and this is what I do and I immerse myself in it too. But sometimes I think we have to have a little bit of caution on the other hand because we tend to see what we want to see, hear what we want to hear. So I, I think there's room on the skeptical side to be a little more accepting and I think there's room on our side to maybe be a little more skeptical. Yeah, side. I totally agree. We're kind of in the middle like that too. I mean, the skeptical community definitely uses that Hollywood uh, angle to explain some increases. Like I think they've, they've uh, touted trends in that type of thing. And then the, you know, and then more on the, on the UFO, the believer side say, well, more people are looking up after that. So it's, it's right. still this like circular argument. Standoff. About, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the thing is, is I don't think we get anywhere. From that. I talked to Dr. Michael Shermer, who, you know, is, Probably he and James Randi are probably the two best known skeptics of on the show. Uh, yeah, I talked to Shermer on the show. He okay, came on the show. yeah. And I got to say, I give him credit. You know, he was a very nice guy. I mean, I had no problem with. But we were talking, have a very civil conversation. I like to have a skeptic on two or three times every year to just kind of keep me keep me semi honest. And um, and anyway, I had him on, and we had a nice conversation. And I said, well, Doctor Shermer. I may very well agree with you in most cases, 
uh, I can totally understand the idea that we're looking for things that maybe we want to see that we believe we should see. I, I totally get that. type of stuff. Exactly. Uh, but I believe there is a small percentage that just cannot be explained by those kind of things. You, for example, UFO sightings. You have people like pilots, and I've heard some skeptics say pilots are the worst witnesses, which <laughs> makes no sense to me. Yeah. But anyway, it's like give me a break. But anyway, um, uh, back to my thought. If I don't totally wreck my train of thought no, here, no, I, uh, basically the idea the, the the idea here is, is that there's a small percentage, Doctor Shermer, that you can't explain. I can't explain. We've got good witnesses, credible people, people who are generally trusted in society that aren't seeing a ghost around every curtain or a UFO every time they look out the window, and they've reported these things. Mm -hmm. Don't we don't we see that those exist? Don't we acknowledge those exist? And he's like, oh yes, but we just decide to put those on a shelf. And I'm like, what? Put them on he a shelf? That? Yeah. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. He but... basically said we put them on a shelf, and I thought, why in the world would we put those on the shelf? <laughs> we put them let's in the X files. The yeah, rest, the rest of them should be on the shelf. I mean, really. That's really. right. Let's take those down and put those under our microscopes, and and put those into our test tubes and Bunsen burners and try to figure out what the hell's going on. But let's put those on a shelf so we can discount everything else. So have you had an experience yourself with anything? Like Graham and I have both. Uh, well, I, I don't know. There's probably an explanation for what I've seen. But uh, I think Graham's had a pretty genuine UFO sighting. Have you had any anything uh, Bigfoot or UFO or... No, no Bigfoot, no UFO, no full body apparition type thing. I've had some weird uh, things happen to me in terms of almost like synchronicity. Uh, I had something that happened to me after my brother died, hearing a song on the radio that you would never hear on the radio. And it just happened to come up as I was driving through a small town in a rural area and just happened to turn over to a station and it came on. Never heard that radio, uh, that song on the radio before or since. Um, and I thought that was some form of an after-death communication, and I've heard other people report something uh, similar things. My dad had some great stories. A couple of them. My dad, it's, it's funny, he, um, he was a steel worker. He's still with us, thankfully. And he had a couple of one ghost story and one almost a Mothman-type sighting. And I think that maybe teed me up for this whole thing growing up because it was like, well, if my dad would say stuff like this, and he's not... Believe me, my dad is the last guy that would like be sleeping with a pyramid under his bed. And I think that kind of sub subliminally. Have you seen my room or something? Or? <laughs> I'm a right steel. By the, right, right by the crystals. I'm actually but, a steel worker. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, I have all the respect in the world. My dad was a steel worker. My uncle was a steel worker. And uh, that's some hard work. And uh, I think maybe getting getting harder these days with uh the, the economic pressures and things, but um, all the money's in Alberta. <laughs> there, there's oil money spilling over the brim out here. Wow, wow. Well, I can tell you in in Ohio here, there there is no kind of money like that. It's kind of depressed. A Cleveland, I come from the Cleveland area, which I, I know everybody is very jealous and uh, <laughs> very glamorous place. But really was a steel town. A lot of people think about Pittsburgh as a steel town, but in much the same sense, Cleveland was a steel town. And unlike Pittsburgh, who uh, had the ability to pivot after the steel mills really kind of went down, Cleveland still hasn't recovered 30 years later, 25 years later. 
So it's been a it's been a hard uh, knock on this area. But my, what I'm saying is, my dad was a working class guy, and um, really wasn't given to flights of fancy, or isn't given to flights of fancy, and had a couple of tremendous stories. And I'm guessing that made a made a mark on me. So. I, I kind of think, you know, where's my dramatic ghost sighting? Where's my dramatic UFO sighting? But I've had enough happen that's been just strange enough to, to personally convince me of all this. Yeah, yeah. So has your views changed, um, let's say, more or less skeptical? Or has your viewpoint changed at all? Besides having more questions uh, since your podcast, uh, since you went like full time or since you've been podcasting? Well, since I've been podcasting, it's not really changed in the last couple of years, but I'll tell you, it's weird because in one way it's made me more skeptical. Uh, uh, in another way, it's made me less skeptical. Now, let me explain. Yeah. In the broad sense, I believe more so that there are things going on that we don't understand and there's something to all this stuff than I ever have. Right. But it has made me more skeptical about individual stories. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. Yep. In other words, I believe in general there's something going on. There is something to these stories. But before I did the podcast, I would hear a story or, or read a news report, particularly reading news reports. And I would say, ah, there's the proof. And now I look at those things much more closely. But on the flip side, it's also made me really pissed off at traditional media because I don't know. I'm guessing it's the same way in Canada. Anytime there's a UFO sighting, or a cryptid sighting, or whatever it might be. The, the script goes something like this. People in southwest Alberta are saying that they're seeing something in the skies. We'll have the film at 11. And then, uh, and then exactly, the X-Files music. Well, have you seen anything like that, Nancy? No, I guess I haven't seen anything. Like, well, I guess we'll have to wait till next time. <laughs> what about you, Bruce? Nah, <laughs> maybe I ate a little too much to drink. Yeah, the happy talk stuff. <laughs> maybe they've and, been smoking a little too much there in yeah, southwest exactly. Alberta. Exactly. Although I have had some, <laughs> I have some great campfire stories where people have called up and said that they may have been. Uh, worshiping at the altar of the herb a little bit, and I, 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 I thought, well, maybe that has something to do with your with your sighting. But um, that being said, that kind of template that media puts on really tees me off. The other yeah, thing the yeah. media will do here's another thing the media will do, which is absolutely one of my pet peeves. I think I can guess what you're going to say. Let's see. Okay. okay, let's say somebody in Alberta yeah. sees a UFO. Okay. Okay and uh, gives the account of it, and about two-thirds down the way in the story, they'll say something like this. But many UFO sightings can be explained by swamp gas, and Benjamin Radford says why. And then they give a quote from Ben Radford or some other debunker and saying why UFO sightings are BS, not addressing that specific sighting but UFO sightings in general, it's almost like they have two or three standard paragraphs to put under any UFO sighting. Or, um, you know, if it's a, it's a Bigfoot sighting, okay, the Bigfoot sighting, okay, here's our standard two or three paragraphs we have to put in every Bigfoot sighting yeah, story yeah. or yeah. ghost story. And that just bugs the hell out of me because if you're going to critique somebody's sighting, do it on the merits of their experience, not on... Just a blanket statement that you throw on all of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. The thing that bothers me—not that me, I'm passionate about it. No, no. That's I, that drives me nuts too. The thing that bothers me about it is when they only focus on the sightings that are either 
so silly that there's no uh, sense to them at all. Like there's no, <clears throat> you know, real mystery there, or or they've already been proven as fake or whatever. So they're ne they're never left with the the genuine sighting that's unproven. You know that we still don't have the answer for. Right. And the thing is, is that I don't think that, and sometimes maybe we as paranormal enthusiasts or paranormalists or whatever you want to call us, maybe we don't present it this way, but they've got to understand that a lot of us have a nuanced position on this stuff. I mean, I, I think you guys fall in the same category as I do. We don't believe in everything that comes down the pike. On the other hand, we're not going to reject out of hand everything that comes down the pike. Right. We, we have a nuanced, you know, kind of feel about this. So... Uh, I, I wish that they would uh, I wish that they would see that but who knows see it opening up like it, it seemed like i'm asking this on all our podcasts but the last five or ten years it feels like it's opening up to me the only thing that i can think i mean i think that the hardcore de uh, core debunkers are, are still going to be what they are and you know and i met a couple of these people at the paradigm symposium mm -hmm. a couple of the uh the hardcore skeptics and they, they, they just it i just the one guy reminded me a little of michael moore uh but uh <laughs> Uh, but it just seemed like anything you would say to him, it was just like, well, I'm not going to hear this. Um, you know, so I think those people, I don't think we'll ever uh, move them, but maybe the general population, I think, is being moved in general and sharing more stories. I certainly see it on my campfire story show, people more willing to share their stories and, and, and say, you know, this happened to me. Uh, so I think that it's a long haul. And what I'm hoping for is that we see more people of science wanting to look in these things. And as you look at quantum physics and the idea of the multiverse and those types of things, quantum mechanics, hopefully scientists are becoming more open to the idea of a reality that we couldn't have imagined years ago. And maybe that's the way that all of this happens. Uh, maybe that's the way that they, they become more open to the idea that there may be some, something to some of these things. And again, I don't think that there's any, I, I think there's very possible all of this stuff that we experience, whether it's life after death in terms of, uh, of seeing ghosts or UFOs, it may all be scientifically explicable. But I think it was Arthur C. Clarke or somebody said something along the lines, it might be the science of the 25th century. I just hope that, that scientists start realizing that this might be some stuff that they really should be looking seriously at, not mm -hmm. laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when it comes to the media, do you think that their sort of whitewashing or generalization or sort of ridicule of the topic is intentional, or is it just that they're stuck in their paradigm and the system is the way it is? I don't necessarily think there's anything conspiratorial about having worked in the media. It's my observation, and I'm talking about the mainstream media, your 
television and so forth. In general, those people are very, and I hate to say this, they've got a lot to do. Let me say that. They've got, you don't think it's a tough job, but it is a tough job to fill all that content. Right. So in general, I think they're lazy. So I think the, the basic, what's happened over time is let's say that you have a story, somebody in Minnesota, and they're going to report one of these stories. And they report the same way they do in Alberta, the same way they do in Los Angeles, the same way they do in Cleveland. I don't think that person in Minnesota was told by somebody from the CIA or the NSA or, or somebody to, you know, let's, let's uh, run down UFO experiencers. I don't think that's all. I think basically at this point, it's like covering a fire, right? There's a certain way you cover a fire. There's a certain way you cover a UFO story. And that is to go out, do an interview, take some pictures of the sky, uh, play some X-Files music in the back and kick it back to the studio where everybody can have a nice chuckle. And that's how we do this story. Um, I think that's really what you're seeing. Question is, how did we get to this point? Was there somebody way back that said, you know, maybe we should start discrediting this stuff? Maybe we should start laughing at this stuff. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and, and journalists are victims as much as we are, in a way, because they're not laughing at it because they're trying to discredit it. They're not smart enough to realize that they're discrediting it, that maybe they're just pawns in a bigger game. So you make that the convention, the way you cover that story, and 20 years down the road... It's like, oh, let's have another UFO story that we can laugh at. And you're still achieving that aim of discrediting the whole thing. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think I agree with you on the on the local or the, the less prominent, um, you know, TV or media level. But when it comes to, I think, the big ones and the, the Washington Post or the yeah, New York Times know, and stuff like that, I think there is more of a, like, no, 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 you're not going to cover that stuff kind of thing going on. Well, I think that's true. And the other thing that I'll say is, is I think it's changed over the years. I mean, in the 1950s, I believe it was 1952, the summer of the UFOs, when UFOs were buzzing Washington, D.C. Yeah. Life magazine had like a multi-page spread on it. Yeah. Now, could you imagine that happening now with a comparable outlet? You know, Life yeah, Magazine's yeah, gone, yeah, but a comparable, yeah. the New York Times maybe? Yeah. No, of course not. Yeah. So I think that there's been a closing of the mind. It's curious to know what that, what that closing of the mind may have been caused from and who, oh. um, uh, who caused it. And I, I think there's the a lot of Robertson, Robertson yes. panel comes to mind. Exactly, exactly. So um, I don't know. I don't know if there's hope. I, but I think that that the hope is right here on the internet. Yeah. And with as you, as it's, it's not, yeah. Well, I, well, I was going to be specific about your show, right? Like your other show, the campfire story show, right? That is yes. more about like allowing people a medium or a venue to yes. talk about their experience. Right. Yeah. That basically, that show I started in 2009. So it's about ready to have its fifth anniversary. And basically that's just people who say, Jim, this happened to me. See, that's great. And, that's that's I, what's opening it up, I think. And, and I'm not judgmental. and Because um, I think it's a little different if an author comes on your show and he tells you he's been teleported. but it's it's uh, And he has a book to sell. And, you know, <clears throat> I think it's a little different, excuse me, a little different if it's an individual who's bearing their soul. So I try to be very supportive and just let them tell the stories. And some are more incredible than others. But... Uh, particularly ones I include in my books, I really try to focus on the ones that I think are the most sincere. And the funny thing is, 
is why I started this show back in 2009. I just did a special episode of the Paranormal Podcast, and a lot of people liked it. So I thought it'd be a separate show. And I thought, oh, this will be fun. We'll all be around, quote, the electronic campfire, and we'll, we'll tell spooky stories. And I didn't really think of it being any more than that. It was just kind of entertaining. Excuse me. <clears throat> but it turned out to be uh, more than that. I think it's almost kind of grown into, and I, I don't claim to be any kind of guru or a psychologist or anything like that, so let me be clear. But it's kind of like a paranormal support group of the year in this sense. Yeah, yeah. Somebody from California calls, and they say, I saw this when I was five years old, and I could never understand it. And then somebody from Florida calls three weeks later and said, you know that person I called about that, whatever it was, shadow person they saw when they were five? I saw exactly the same thing in Florida when I was seven. And we see a lot of that. And I've had people come on the show and say, Jim, uh, this is a story I never told anybody for 30 years. And now I'm, uh, I'm telling you and your audience. And uh, it, it's really, t I mean, people, it's not just boo. You know, I had a story last week, very poignant story, about a woman who had in the last year a terrible year of loss. All kinds of relatives and everything passed away. And then she told about this one evening where she went outside and had almost a spiritual experience. And there was a beautiful moon and all these kind of things happened. And she timed it and she took a picture of the moon. It was so beautiful. She was just overcome. Come to find out the next day, she finds out her friend passed away at, a, at what she figured was about the same time. Mm -hmm. That this, this happened totally unexpectedly. And she didn't, couldn't figure out what was going on, but it was like this moving spiritual moment. So she went back to her phone and checked the time. And anybody who has a smartphone knows when you take a picture, it'll give you an exact time. That picture of the moon timed to exactly the minute that her friend died. Wow. So it doesn't always have to be spooky, boo. It can be poignant. It could be touching. It could be frightening. But uh, they're real people telling real stories. And, uh, you know, a paranormal podcast gets more listeners, but the campfire gets much more visceral reaction. And I've got to say, if somebody had to say, if you had to choose one show or the other, which one would you do? And I have to be the campfire because I think it's very genuine, not to say the other show is disingenuous, but it's very genuine. It's just people, regular people. And I've had doctors, I've had lawyers, I've had military people, I've had cops. Uh, I've had all kinds of people. Uh, and, uh, for the most part, I find them to be very sincere and they say, Hey, Jim, and many of them, and some of my favorite ones are the ones that say nothing's ever happened to me except for this one thing. And, and they're very steadfast that it happened. And, uh, I'm kind of honored that they, they choose to share their stories on my program. Yeah, no, I, I admire that. I mean, that's part of the reason why I wanted to to do this podcast with Darren too, is just to be able to talk about that or have people discuss their experiences or, you know, be a part of the opening up and, and not to be ridiculing people, you know? No, I think that's important. I think that people have to feel that they have a safe place to tell their stories. And, and it's interesting. So many people have stories that happened to them when they were children. And these people, you know, I've talked to people 50, 60 years old. And this is something that happened to them when they were five, but they recall it intensely, even sometimes to the point of almost crying about it. Yeah. And 
to me, when something like that happens to you so powerful that you remember it for 20, 30, 40 years, I really don't think for the most part you're making it up. I think that it's something that really happened to you. Yeah. And I don't know if we get any answers, but at least we can say, well, these are the questions that we should ask. And, and uh, it's just an honor to do the show. It's really probably my favorite thing I do. Do you have any of the, uh, the stories that are your personal favorites at all that you want to share? Well, yeah. Uh, this one actually is from my, uh, from my uh, latest book. And this is really kind of freaky. Let's see. Which one do I want to do? I think the one I want to do, if I can find it here, is called A Nightmare Before Elm Street. Okay. And this hey, about I've seen a, that one. Yeah, yeah, too, yeah. This, no, this is A Nightmare Before Elm oh, Street. Oh, it's a prequel. Yeah, this is a prequel. Going back to 1961, actually. Uh, my listener's name is Frank. He was from Colorado, and he was five years old. His dad was in the service, and he lived with his mom, and they lived in Illinois. And I believe his dad was off serving the country, and they were staying in this, uh, this little house. And anyway, uh, Frank said that this particular house scared him a little bit. You know, he found it a little bit frightening. A little bit frightening, but uh, he decided that, uh, you know, he's got to go on. His dad's not there. Anyway, he has this one night where he went to sleep, and he had a horrible dream. In the dream, he was in his backyard, and there was a hill in the backyard, and a door opened out of the hill, and a figure came out of the hill and was chasing him. He said this person had long fingers with knives on them and he said he was running from him and he fell and he said in his dream he was trying to drag himself away and just before this character got to him he woke up now he shared a room with his sister who was only four and he woke up and he told his sister get mom because i can't move my legs so his sister went and got his mom and they called the doctor, and this is back in a day when they still did house calls. So the doctor comes and says, who scared this child, uh, child so horribly that he can't move his legs? And they said, we don't know. He had a, had a nightmare. And literally, I guess his grandma had to come over for like a week and do rudimentary physical therapy and work with his legs until he could walk again. Wow. And he said throughout his childhood, he would periodically have this dream, but it would never be as bad. And it would be a lot of times maybe if he was sick. So anyway, we jumped to the late 1980s, and uh, he's talking to a friend of his, and uh, his friend says, hey, I got this movie that you ought to check out. <laughs> so she gave him a VHS tape of it. He'd never seen it. It was called Nightmare on Elm Street. And he said he'd never seen it before, and he went home and he popped it into his VHS player, so we're dating ourselves a little bit here. He turned it on, and he thought he was going to have a heart attack because when he saw the Freddy Krueger character, he realized that, that was the man who was in his nightmare in 1961. Wow. Freddy killed kids in their dreams. He said uh. that he, he always told his mother, I thought if that man had caught me, he would have killed me. He would have died in his sleep. Yeah, but he made he lived that He lived that movie 20 years before it was made. Wow. Tulpa. That's very Tulpa-ish. I wonder yeah, how, many, is, how many people uh, had that dream before. You know, well, you know, I had heard on another podcast, and, and I should research this. I have not researched it. But apparently some of the basis for Nightmare on Elm Street, and I don't know if this is true. This is just what I was told, um, was based on some 
somewhere in Asia, young people were having dreams and dying. That They were being scared to death. And what's interesting, this gentleman had mentioned in his story, I didn't impart this, but his mom was Japanese. And, and I just wonder if it was something across Asian cultures or, or something like that. But I just thought that was really a very, uh, very interesting one. Hmm. Yeah, that is. That's freaky. That was a <laughs> that was one of the freaky movies when I was growing up, like in my teens, that was popular. So, yeah, that yeah. was that was yeah. that was pretty creepy. Yeah, it was. And uh, the thing is, is that it's just crazy, crazy stuff. And the, the funny thing I got to tell you is that I always think, ah, I've heard every story. Yeah, I've heard every story and I haven't heard every story because I constantly get surprised. You know, it's just it just always amazes me how I can get surprised. Do you want to hear another one? Yeah, yeah. I was just going to ask you. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's one that I love. This is called Not Just Any Painting, and this is in Campfire, too. And this happened, again, these stories of people when they're very young. And I believe this was Jay in California. And this happened when he's around four years old. Now, about a year before, his mom had divorced and taken him and his sister uh, and moved in with a friend. And they moved in kind of this little apartment that was almost like a motel, uh, Jay said. And during that time, his mom went to a garage sale in San Francisco and went into the, one of the Victorian homes, and they had painted pictures for sale. Not prints, but real paintings. So she bought one, and um, he one aside he said about this house was, his mom said that it was interesting because on top of the ceiling, instead of just you know white paint, um, there was part of the ceiling that was supposed to represent heaven and the other part hell. And his mom had asked these people, what were these people into? Why is this strange painting on the ceiling? And they said, well, they're not quite satanic, but they're kind of in something more on the dark side. So I'll just leave that out there as the story develops. So anyway, she she brought the painting home, and they put it up on the wall, and it portrayed a lady with blonde hair sitting on a rocking chair in a white gown. It, it, her, his mom loved the picture, brought it home and found a place to put it, and they hung it on the wall between the upstairs and the downstairs. After that, the painting starts randomly falling off the wall. They checked everything structurally. It just keeps falling off. They put it up, and then a couple days later, it would fall down. And then they noticed something else. Now, uh, Jay tells me this place was very echoey. So if something happened downstairs, you could hear upstairs. But they noticed after one particular day that this fell off, it was at a party. They put it back up, and a few days later, they were upstairs, and in the middle of the night, about 2 or 3 a.m., they would hear a woman downstairs crying softly. And they really didn't know what it was because it made no sense. There was nobody downstairs, but they kept hearing this. And, and what's really kind of scary is over the course of uh, several nights, it keeps happening. And over the course of a couple of weeks, it starts getting louder every night and louder and louder. And then one night it just went explosive. Jay said it was so loud you could literally feel the crying through the walls, like a woman was just crying and bawling her eyes out. Remember that picture, by the way. There was a woman in the picture. It got so bad that the mom and her friend that they lived with took action, said, we're going to take the kids. So they took all the kids out of the room and said, we're leaving. So they go downstairs, they go to their car, and they they, they they go, and, and 
they go to their car and it's around a community pool, which was right in front of the sliding glass doors in their living room. And they didn't have curtains, so you could see right inside the apartment. And when they got into the car, they could see right through their own glass windows. And then that's when they freaked out. Because when they looked inside the apartment, guess what they saw? There was a lady with a white gown sitting on their rocking chair in the living room rocking. The woman was the figure in the painting. Her, his mom and her friend started to scream, oh my God. And they remember uh, everybody trying to get the, the, the one mom trying to get the keys and ignition, and she couldn't do it, but they did get going. They left. They never came back. And Jay doesn't know exactly what happened with the painting. And he said, it's hard for me to talk about it even now, just remembering that incident is scary as hell. Wow. So quite a story. It turns out uh, that Wes Craven was inspired by a, uh, a group of Cambodian immigrants that all died while having nightmares. Well, there you go. There you go. Uh, and thank you for, I should have, uh, that was six months ago. I should have researched him. <laughs> so thank you. That's, that's thank creepy. You like a whole bunch of them died because of the nightmares. That's as a group. Wow. A group is a, more than a few, I would say. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's freaky. Yeah, and, but, you and know, it's like a collective the, consciousness. Back in the days, fucking who knows, that could have just been some bullshit for killing off a boatload of, you know what I mean? Wow. Like, you never know. Back in the day, there was a lot of shady stuff going on. You never know. That's a pretty, but that's the kind of a lame, a lame uh, excuse. I don't <laughs> know. They come had up nightmare. I don't know. <laughs> they all died in their sleep. They had a nightmare, nightmare. or something. Yeah, it's uh it, uh, but again, you had asked before, I think about DNA, is that creative? But that gets into the point of, as you said, tulpas, and also to the point, uh, do we create things ourselves, you know? Uh, and I don't know this for a fact, but the sightings, for example, of the, the prototypical alien with the bug eyes and the egg head, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure that increased after something like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So my question is, do we create the reality? Or in the case of aliens, do they reflect what we think we're supposed to see? You know, in the 50s, a lot of the reports of blonde hair, blue-eyed aliens, Georgia Dansky, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it switches over to the gray. Is it because the aliens are just projecting to us what we think we should see? I don't know. Just a thought. Well, yeah, and it also can go for UFO sightings, too, how they always stay sort of one step ahead of our current technology in a way as far as perception goes. Yeah, yeah, I can. I I I think it's uh, it, it, again. It, it's mind numbing because if you think about all the implications of all this stuff, um, it can keep you up at night. What do you think? You what do you think of the types of things like uh, the secret space program and and some of the stuff that guys like I think uh, Richard a, Dolan talk about? I, I I think there's an, and Richard's been on a couple of the shows. He's a good guy to talk to. Interesting guy. Um, yeah. I think that. Um, I think a lot of stuff goes on. I mean, if you look at the black budgets, and I don't know the, the specific details but, uh, of the numbers, but there's huge sections, huge swaths of the um, military budgets and, and things like that in the U.S. that are not accounted for, uh, that, that even people in Congress don't know what's going on. And uh, I have to believe there's a lot of stuff that we don't know about things that are flying up there. And I, I think that it's certainly possible that... 
you know, some UFO sightings are military craft, but I certainly don't think that 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 all of them are. Uh, I, I certainly think that could be some. It's interesting. I had Amy, Annie Jacobson on the show a couple of years ago. She did that big book on Area 51, and I can't remember the exact quote, uh, but she was talking to someone who had inside knowledge, who had worked at Groom Lake or one of these places, Area 51. And she said, I know you can't tell me a lot, but is, um, you know, if, if I'm talking about this plate, is, is like the secrecy behind this, is this big as this crouton, is it as big as the plate? And he said, oh, no, my dear, it's as big as the table. <laughs> That's um, a good and, analogy. And I, can't, I, can't, I can't remember the exact quotes. I hope I'm not misquoting here. But the, the idea is that there's a hell of a lot of stuff that, that it's a big story. And um, it's uh, really, and she had, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil her book for people, but she had a crazy uh, theory at the end of that book about what Roswell was. I mean, it was even crazier than aliens. And I won't even say what it was, but I'm like, I'm not buying that. But she claims uh, that there was a terrestrial explanation, but it was such a crazy explanation that I'm like, nah, I don't think so. But but it was very interesting. And she, you know, she's a pretty mainstream uh, person, L.A. Times, and she's written a lot of uh, a lot of considered serious stuff. Yeah. And doesn't doesn't strike me in any way as a kook. And she had a crazy theory for Roswell, which I'd never heard before, and uh, would almost, as I said, almost be more incredible than aliens. Yeah. Did she come out with another book just recently? I thought I heard something about that. I'll have to take a look. I'm yeah, not aware yeah, if, I'm she, not sure. if she did and it's in this area, I'd like to talk to her again because uh, she was fascinating. It took me a while to get her, but uh, once I did, uh, it was a great discussion. Have you heard of, uh, or have you thought about putting your books on audiobook at all? Like your, your, uh, your campfire well, it, ones? Like you could even narrate it yourself. You got a pretty right. good voice. Well, what I, what I kind of thought was it kind of already is an audiobook. Yeah, kind <laughs> I mean, of. In a way. Kind of. I, I thought about that. Uh, I mean, I literally, because the thing is, is that what I do with these books is I take the stories. I don't change any of, well, the first book was basically almost verbatim. Right. Uh, of calls. And I got a lot of complaints. People said, well, it's not edited very much. And, and the whole point was not to edit it because I didn't want to change what people said. The second book, I didn't change the facts. Uh, I just tried to word them a little more eloquently and got much better reaction. So I think I'm going to stick with the same model. But, I mean, the thing is, is that if people want to uh, – and, and the other thing that I did for this book is um, if you buy the book, I actually made a special podcast that's only available to people who buy the book that they can download that has my uh, has my favorite. I forget if it's five or ten top stories. Oh, and basically, cool. what I did is I took those five stories and I edited them together and did like a almost a Casey Kasem kind of top forty countdown. <laughs> That's awesome. And now <laughs> keep your feet on the ground and your head in the stars. And now we've got the number one campfire story of twenty thirteen. But um, anyway, uh, kind of <laughs> like that without the schlocky voice. Although Casey Kasem, awesome. Hey, Scooby-Doo, what can you say? Or, Zoink, Scooby-Gee! No, but anyway, <laughs> I'm getting off on a tangent here. That, well, that book did really well. On, isn't it yeah. uh, the number one para- it was, uh, it was supernatural one, book or something? Yeah, it was the number one Kindle supernatural book for much of the fall, yeah, that's which great. I thought was pretty darn cool. That's, and yeah. it's funny, I got to say this, and, and this is not to knock my... Or, I'm a little bit over, all over the place now, so I apologize. But no, no, it's not good. To, not to... Um, 
in any way belittle or begrudge my publisher in my first book. Um, they're nice people, and I still do a lot of interviews with a lot of their authors, and they were good to work with. But I found doing my own book was very liberating. Uh, it did better. Uh, it reached a wider audience. I got to be on Coast to Coast AM. Um, you know, I sold a lot more books. I was able to price the Kindle book cheaply at $2.99 in, in the States. And similar pricing in Canada, too. Uh, very economically, so more people could buy it. Um, I don't really think, personally, I don't think pricing a book, uh, the Kindle version, at the, essentially the same price as the print version, is really fair. Uh, I think, you know, if you want print, you should pay a premium. But if you're just getting the bits, why not make it affordable? And I've had sales where I've even had 99 cents. And uh, having that marketing flexibility, having the flexibility of and they didn't really dictate what I would have to do in the book so I don't want to say that but having the marketing flexibility pricing flexibility and you know when you publish a book you have to get it done so far ahead of mm. when it's released right. whereas with this book you know I finished it and within a month I had it on Amazon and it's been great for me I love self-publishing my thing was is that uh, I will self-publish this but only in the way that it has to be indistinguishable from uh, a book that's sold in a bookstore. In other words, a lot of self-published books, you can take a look at them and say, ah, that is self-published. My book, uh, not to toot my own horn, but I mean, I think you look at my book and you say, oh, who published this? And that was really important to me to have a good look. So I hired a professional uh, cover artist for the print version. I hired a person who lays out books for book companies. So rather, other than having a name on there, other than my own, it was essentially everything in there was, uh, and it was edited. Uh, so everything was done professionally. I just paid for all of that up front. And, and then I've more than made it back. It's been, it's been good. But another important thing, other than making money on books or, or extending the brand, which is all good stuff from a business perspective, a lot of people, you said before, a lot of people don't know what podcasts are, but everybody knows what a book is. So I, I would hope so. Yeah. So uh, my thought was this would be a great way to get some of these stories out there. Maybe the people will never listen to a podcast. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's been a good thing too. And I know, uh, you know, people have called in the campfire and said, I found out about your podcast through your book. So oh. it's, it's, really been a, it's really been a very cool thing. Good idea. Reading books could be a dying art. You know, I maybe reading paper books, but I do think, you know, there's always, I mean, for example, I look at uh, my one daughter is just a voracious reader. She reads more, and I, I was a pretty strong reader when I was young, but she blows me out of the water. So I have hope for future generations. Uh, I, I think people will continue to read, I hope, unless we become, what was that movie, Idiocracy? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, that was that's gold. That's <laughs> Which so I think good. you know the, the, sometimes that's a when coin look, toss. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes when you look, that that could happen too. You know, if we have too much. Re I'll tell you. Do you guys have the Real Housewives up there? Do you guys I, have that? I don't. Uh, probably. Well, if you do, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> uh, my wife watches, and my wife's a very intelligent woman. She has a master's degree. Uh, that doesn't mean you're necessarily intelligent, but she happens to be intelligent. And um, 
but she likes these Kardashian type reality series. Hmm. And I'm like, and, and this is a total in, in a car crash way, or I'm like, I don't know. I don't get it. These women are arguing at each other. I mean, it's just, why would you watch this? I love you know, that. Why shit. would you? Oh, I hate <laughs> it. I hate it. I, I just thought, why would you watch this? Why don't you watch House of Cards, you know? Yeah, I'm just kidding. I, I actually, um, I don't really watch, I use my Netflix and most, I'd say 90% of what I'm watching these days, other than my hockey games, is um, through the internet in some oh, way, shape, way, or form. congratulations. Congratulations on the Olympic medal. Yeah, yeah, I had to get up oh. at 5 in the morning to watch it. Well, the thing is, is that, and this is interesting, and I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I used to be, you know, I'm 44, so I'm I'm getting on in years. So <laughs> I'm a I'm a product of the Cold War era when we all thought that the Soviets were going to nuke us. Yeah, yeah. And but I even in watching the Olympics, I noticed that since I've started podcasting and since the internet, I am far less parochial. Uh, yeah. you know, uh let's say 25 years ago and please don't take offense. And the U.S. is playing Canada, and the U.S. loses, which, you know, if we're talking hockey, really, Canada should win. Yeah. But <laughs> Come on. But anyway, at first I'd be like, damn those Canadians. But now I'm like, eh, good for them. They deserve, they deserve to win <laughs> hockey. That's cool. You know? <laughs> no, but I think, I think that the Internet has changed us, or it's changed me, I know. I'm far less... You know, certainly I'm patriotic. I mean, uh, America has its share of problems, but I still think it's a great country, and I'm very proud to be an American. But I'm not like, ah, Americans good, Russians bad. Yeah, it's, blurred, it's blurred the borders for sure. Uh, although, you know, I'm not exactly a big fan of Vladimir Putin. But, but you know you know what I'm saying? The people are generally people, and uh, just with the different political uh, leadership. Of course, I still believe there are good guys out there and there are bad guys. But uh, I, you know, I'm far more open to people from other countries. And I think it's such a cool thing. I, I think it's, it's done more than, you know, a thousand years of diplomacy. The Internet has done more than a thousand years of diplomacy to bring people together. Yeah, we've talked about that exact thing with other podcasters on this podcast is there, before. Is there any feeling... Uh, in this, like, uh, I've heard some people talking about how it's how some people are scared we might be, or well, uh, mostly the states, but like that, how that West and East thing might be rumbling back up again. Oh, personally, and now yeah, with Czechoslovakia I th or uh, uh, Ukraine, Ukraine, the Ukraine yeah. thing happening. Oh, and I, I, I am the. Uh, Hey, yes, I am worried about that. I'm worried about a new Cold War, whether it's between the U.S. and Russia or U.S. and China. Just, But those are the leaders. I think that in the past, you had the leadership at each other's throat, and then you also had the people hating each other because they have been told to hate each other. Uh, even if, for example, Soviet Russia, boy, that really sounds old. Uh, but if you hated if you hated the system, communism, which I personally think is an awful system, um, if you hated that system, I totally get that. But I think we as Americans also, I hate to say this, hated Russians because we thought that, you know, Russians had horns coming out of their head. I think the difference is now that that hopefully we're able to delineate that 
we may dislike a particular system or a particular leadership, and we may think, you know, Vladimir Putin, you know, electing himself into perpetual presidency is a bad thing, that we don't think Russians themselves are bad people because they're Russian and happen to have a lousy leader. Uh, just as I hope that people don't necessarily think Americans are bad people because we may have our share of, uh, of poor leaders. So I think the difference is, is that, yeah, I think there's totally the possibility, as much as ever, for the systems and the politicians to clash, uh, clash and bring us all into it. I still think that's a possibility. I think people too often, and this has nothing to do with the paranormal, but, but um, too often people forget that there are all of these nuclear weapons and uh, what is the the phrase? Therefore, by the grace of God, you know, we're we're so fortunate that that other than after, immediately after Second World War, and the uh, internet could even yeah. turn out to save the day there again, yeah. right? Like you just seen, like Syria almost pulled off because of extreme public outcry, right? And, well, uh, yeah, and, and and the thing is, is that I still think though there is a danger that, you know, India gets mad at Pakistan or there's some precipitous thing in the Middle East between something like Iran and Israel or something and, you know, the, the nuclear birds start flying. So I think that I always have that, and maybe that's just a product of my upbringing, you know. Yeah. Uh, we always heard, you know, <laughs> you know, the missiles could be coming in, in, in 15 minutes. Uh, there was an old American movie in the 80s, uh, became a huge deal called the day after that talked about the aftermath of a nuclear war. Yeah. And I think people of my age, most of us still remember all of that stuff where younger people might not remember that. So I always have that in the back of my mind. I think that's, that's a really scary thing and anything that could destabilize those kind of things, are particularly scary to me. So I think there could be a new cold war. I sure hope not. Yeah, me too. Hopefully we're going the other way. So what do you got coming up in the future, uh, Jim? Well, I just did, uh, in terms of short term, I just did a show uh, with the folks over at Fate Magazine today, posted on the Paranormal Podcast feed. You can find that over at jimherald.com. If you go over there, you can find uh, usually about 90 days of free content for the Paranormal Podcast. Uh, We did a show last week with Jason Martell about ancient aliens. I heard that. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we have more fun coming up on that show. And then the campfire comes out every week. And we have a lot of spooky stories to share on that as always. And that will be coming out probably tomorrow or Thursday. And then we also have our weekly free newsletter. I always like to send out a free newsletter to folks every week. And if folks want to pick up on that, it's absolutely free. It's over at jimherald.com. That's J-I-M-H-A-R-O-L-D.com. And I'm also on Facebook and Twitter under the name Jim Harold, And you can connect with me there as well. Well, Jim, uh, it's been a great chat. We really want to thank you for, for coming on the show at Grimerica. Oh, it's been a lot of fun. I feel like I kind of rambled. I, we no, not at all. It was great. politics to, uh, to uh, you know, skepticism to uh, actually a couple of ghost stories or spooky stories at least. So it's been a lot of fun. I'd love to do it again. And, uh, you know, the one thing that I've been excited to see is all the great new podcasts coming out. And you guys are certainly in that category. So congratulations. Uh, you got great sound and get great guests and uh, continued success. I hope to see you grow for, for many years to come. 
Thanks a lot, Jim. That means a, means a lot. And uh, we'll make sure we link to, to your website and to your, your shows and all that in our, in our show notes and in the posts so that, like I say, there might be one or two of our, of our audience that, uh, that hasn't heard of you yet. So we'll, make, <laughs> we'll a, make sure they check you out. There's a lot more people that haven't heard of me than have heard of me. By the way, one last thing. Also, they can pick up Jim Harold's Campfire 2 over at Amazon.com if they're on the U.S. side or Amazon.ca if they're in Canada. And I know it's $2.99 in the States, and I believe it's comparable pricing over in uh, Canada for the Kindle edition. So 70 stories, it's less than a nickel a story, I think, if my third grade math works out. So we think it's a good deal. <laughs> That's a good deal. Thank, and hey, so are you, uh, you going to be at Paradigm uh, 2014 this year? Uh, I'm still planning the schedule. Okay. Um, Not exactly sure, but I tell you, that was a great conference for me. And if I can, I will. Well, we'll probably be there. So hopefully we'll see you there. Cool. Maybe we can do it like a joint show. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Round table as we like. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Well, thanks a lot, guys. And that was our chat with Jim Harold. What'd you think, Darren? Yeah, Jim, nice guy, super nice guy. I gotta say, one thing I do gotta say is I've seen his. Uh, he's one guy who uh, the first time I ever heard his voice, like I'd heard his voice, and then I seen his picture. It surprised me. It did or it didn't? It did. It did. One of those guys who's uh, just for some reason with certain people, I find that. Their voice doesn't. Uh, their voice and their face don't match up to me. And with his, it did. And his was one of those people that didn't. I was like, oh, wow. Oh weird. yeah, none of, none of them do. Really. Sometimes they do. Sometimes. Yeah, you sound just like you look. I remember uh, in my old job, I was dealing with this woman down in California, and she had the sexiest voice. Like I am talking sultry sexy and and i'm thinking what what does this woman look like like it's usually you know and then you you meet the person and they're like oh they're totally not like their voice and she came up <laughs> she came up to see me with the old company i worked for and holy fuck she was a, like a 10 knockout it was unreal uh, so it was finally somebody that did match their voice once again, that brings you back to the movie Her and you falling in love with your phone eventually. <laughs> you heard it here first. No, Anyways, it was, that was great. He's uh, He's got good books and he tells great stories. And uh, well, just one of those guys that's fun to talk to. Yeah, and you know what I like is he's he's one of these guys that's inspiring because he's followed his, his passion, right? He's, he's taken what he knows about a certain thing and some technical expertise and he's created his whole his whole thing right for himself this whole business around uh talking to people about the paranormal and stuff so it's it's inspiring to me yeah and it's it good was great him. yeah it was great to meet him in in person too and he was uh very very friendly easy to talk to and yeah man i i just i love it that's part of uh the joy of doing this 
yeah, hopefully uh, we can have him on again down the road. Uh, who do we got next? Next episode is going to be... Daniel Estlin. It is, Coming isn't up. it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Daniel yeah, Estlin. Estulin. Daniel Estulin. <laughs> oh, that's a gooder. And then we got... Uh, we got an episode in the canon now, uh, or an interview with uh, the global cooling uh, scientist, Dr. Don Easterbrook. To, yeah. We got to figure out how we're going to work that into the schedule. Yeah. Yeah, but, it's all good. We got lots lots coming up. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, we booked, uh, I don't know, have we mentioned we got Robert Schock coming up? I can't remember, but uh, send questions for him. He's coming up in about a month. Terry Tabando is uh, next week. Yeah, Vancouver C-SETI guy. Tom Roberts. Tom Roberts? Psychedelic dude. Oh, right. He's the 25th of March. <laughs> oh, yeah. The one thing we do got to talk about before we bust out of here is uh, Passport. Passport to Grimerica episode. Uh, um, March 29th, I think. We're going to kind of be around most of the day uh, so we can jump in. People, We got people all, all over the world kind of in different time zones to accommodate. So... Uh, we're just going to kind of hang out. We got an interview that day, probably have a barbecue and kind of, I think we got uh, room for three or four more for sure. Yeah, that'll be great. So tweet us, uh, email us, uh, and let us know if you want to come on. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about the emails. Uh, my email is graham at com. G-R-A-H-A-M. Yeah, and I'm Darren at Grimerica.com, and there's always uh, feedback at Grimerica.ca. And uh, the P.O. box, too. So yeah, to P.O. box, yeah, Grimerica.ca slash contact. Uh, of course, the money bombs, Grimerica.ca slash money bomb. Um, I think that's about it. Right on, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah, guys, thanks for listening. As usual, you'll find links to everything we talked about in the show notes and uh, all the music you heard as well. So uh, thanks, Graham. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next week.